Now today we're starting a series we're calling the Bible, the living word of God. How many of you know it is the living word of God? And uh, you know, I, you know, whenever we're doing the last series, this just begins stirring. I've been thinking about this for some time, but this really begins stirring in my heart. I read, uh, I read a George Borna. George Borna is like the Gallup poll of surveys, and he's always surveying uh, the public, Christians, the church, to find out trends and, and where people are going. And I was reading this survey, and, it, and, and in this survey, George Borna found out that only 4% of Americans have a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview. Now, a biblical worldview means that you believe the absolute moral truths do exist. How many of you know absolute truths do exist? How many of you are with me there? It's a good chance you got a, you got a biblical worldview, if you can agree with that, and that such absolute truth is found and defined in the Bible. How many of you know, it's the Bible that determines truth, not the professor at UL. Are y'all with me? Hey, I am not saying anything. We have a professor here in our church, not saying anything against the professor at UL. But how many of you know the Bible is the truth? Amen. And so, you know, listen, those with a biblical worldview uh, believe truths like this, that God is all powerful and he's all knowing. And he has ultimate authority and rulership in the world. How many of you believe that? You know, people with a biblical worldview believe that salvation is a gift of God. And that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life and expects us to live pure and holy lives. How many of you believe that? People with a biblical worldview believe that Satan is real. And that Christians have responsibility to share their faith. How many of you believe that? You see, they also found that not only did just 4% of Americans have a biblical worldview, but they also found out that having a biblical worldview had a huge influence on people's behavior. How many of you know what you believe affects the way that you live? How many of you know that? What you believe will affect your conduct, will affect your behavior. And they found that people with a biblical worldview we're 31 times less likely to expect or to accept, rather, that cohabitation is a viable option. People with a biblical worldview believe 18 times less likely to accept drunkenness as being an okay lifestyle. 15 times less likely to condone alternative lifestyles. 17 times less likely to gamble, 13 times less likely to get drunk. Having a biblical worldview, they discovered, had a radical positive effect on people's lives and behavior. What you believe affects the way that you live. What you base what you believe on has everything to do with how you live your life. Amen? Now, as I was reading that, I was, I was pretty shocked. And I asked the question, why is it that less than 4% of the population have a biblical worldview? Why is that? Well, I think it's because of our nation's departure from the Bible. Wouldn't you say that? There is a famine of God's Word in the land. How many of you agree with that? Let me say it again. I believe that there's a famine 
of the Word of God in the land. And never before in history has the Bible been more available to the world. You know, uh, it's, it's available everywhere, right? Yet there's never been such a famine of God's Word in the world. Amos chapter 8 and verse 11 says, The time has surely coming, says the Sovereign Lord. Amos 8 and verse 11 you should be there. The time is surely coming, says the Sovereign Lord, when I w- that I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Beautiful girls and strong young men will grow faint in that day, thirsting for the Lord's word. Now the prophet Amos envisioned a time in history, a time in the future, that there would be a famine of the word of God in the world. And according to Amos, this famine of the word of God would produce a people who were weak and feeble. Does that make sense? Verse 13 says, beautiful girls and strong young men will grow faint in that day, Thirsting for the Lord's Word. I think we're living in that day that Amos predicted right now in America. I think we're living in a very weak society. Weak morally, weak mentally, weak physically, and especially weak spiritually because of the absence of the Word of God. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord today? Yes, indeed. For reasons... For reasons that we're going to discuss. There's a few reasons why I believe that there's this famine of the Word of God in the land. One of them is I believe we've taken the Bible out of our educational institutions and our government agencies that has created part of this, va- this famine. You know that, did you know that, that many of our most prestigious colleges in America were once like Bible seminaries? You know, colleges like, was it Harvard and Yale? These colleges, they, you know why they had those colleges? They wanted to produce ministers of the gospel. And many people that went to these colleges were training to be missionaries and pastors and evangelists. Don't you think that these colleges have departed from how it started? Well, absolutely. Now you can't even mention the name of Jesus Christ on these campuses. And at one time, they were like seminaries. Did you know that our founding fathers governed the country by using the Bible as their source of counsel? Did you know that? Well, you know, George Washington said this. This is a quote you can find in history. It's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. How many of you wish George Washington was resurrected today? Wouldn't you like for him to run for president in 2012? It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Now you can't even post Ten Commandments in City Hall without being sued. There's a famine of the Word in our land, and I think part of it is because we haven't allowed it in our government institutions or our educational institutions. But I believe... There's another reason why there's a famine of the Word of God in the land. We have neglected to teach the Bible in our pulpits in America. Now, I'm going to preach to myself for a little while, okay? Now, you can say, amen, brother. Come on, preach it hard. You know, many sermons are preached in pulpits in America without using one single reference of Scripture in that sermon. 
Are you all in agreement or you think I'm lying? We're preaching, we're pre-pastors and priests and clergy are preaching personal opinions and quoting modern philosophers and celebrities instead of preaching and teaching the Bible under the inspiration and the power and the authority of the Holy Ghost. Amen? And that's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 2, he said, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive, impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, in timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Amen. Amen. You know, I think we need a renewed passion of old-fashioned, Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled, Bible preaching. Amen. You know, the Bible says there would come a day where people wanted their ears tickled. In other words, don't tell me something that might hurt my feelings, that might bring conviction on me, but my Lord, that's what we need today. Amen. There's a famine of the Word of God, not because it's just out of schools and government systems, but in the pulpits of America. Amen. And so I want to encourage you to pray for me and pray for this church that the Word of God will always be dissected and preached from the pulpit in this place. Amen. A third reason now, I think there's a famine of God's Word in our land. It's because many Christians have neglected the Bible in their personal lives. We have Bibles in almost every every place imaginable in hotels libraries ipods smartphones and most of us have 10 bibles in our homes in america yet most christians are not taking the time to read or to study the bible isn't that true listen my purpose today is not to condemn anybody my purpose today is just simply bring the facts to the table we got a famine of the word of god in america Amen? A recent survey found that only 25% of evangelical Protestants read their Bible daily. And so let let me give you a picture of that. If I brought four people up here, picked four people, there would be one out of them four that don't read their Bible. Which one are you? No, just kidding. And 35% of professing born-again Christians said they never read their Bible. Wow. How can you have a biblical worldview if you don't read your Bible? Hello? Only one in four read their Bible? Well, no wonder. We need the Lord to give us a fresh craving and appetite for the Word of God. Amen. Are y'all with me in that? I mean, I'm throwing my hat, I'm throwing my hat in, the, in the ring too. I believe as a pastor, I need a fresh hunger and thirst for the Word of God. Amen? I don't, that I don't just read my Bible to find a sermon. I read my Bible to find a truth to live by. A sin to avoid. An example to follow. Come on, are y'all with me out here? And so Psalm 20, the psalmist said, My soul is starved and hungry. Ravenous, insatiable 
for your nourishing commands. That's what we need. An insatiable appetite for the Word of God. Amen? Once we get an insatiable appetite for the Word of God, it's going to affect our belief system, and our belief system is going to affect our worldview, and our worldview is going to affect our behavior. Amen? Now, why is the Bible so important? Why is it such a big deal in our life? Well, let me give you a couple reasons. Number one, I believe that the Bible is the only book authored by God. There might be some claims other than that, but I believe the Bible is the only book that has been authored by God Himself. Amen? No other book in the world can make that claim to have been authored by God. You know, well, you say, well, I thought there were many different authors of the Bible. No, they're, they're like, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and all of them. No, they're different writers, but there's one author. How many of you know there's one author? There's only one author. There are 40 different, 40 plus writers but only one author, and that author of the Bible is God Himself. Listen to what the Scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Now, I want you to notice the very first of this scripture, of verse 16. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. Inspired. When you break that word down in the Greek, this is what it means. It means God breathe. It means God breathe. Like my breath coming through my vocal cords and making the voice, the, the word of God is God's breath coming through His vocal cords and giving us His message. Amen? How many of you know that the Bible is not a normal book, saints of God? It's not a normal book. It's God's book. Amen? Containing God's message. Y'all agree with this today? That's the Bible. The Bible is God's message delivered through human hands or writers. There's different writers, but there's one author, and it's God Himself. And so listen, the Bible is not a book containing man's opinions. It's a book containing God's opinions. You know, why do you say that? Well, some people think this is just a bunch of opinions of man. No, it's not. It's not man's opinion. There is a man that wrote and penned the words, but they wrote it under the inspiration, under the anointing, under the leadership, under the guidance, under the help, under the inspiration of God Himself. Amen? So that's what makes it different than any other book. Because no other book can make that claim that God is the author of it. God is the author of the Bible. 2 Peter 1 and 20 says, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of God's, a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You see, prophets didn't write in their own opinion. They weren't, they weren't uh, magicians. They weren't fortune tellers. Whenever they prophesied what's going to happen in 2015 and in the years to follow, no, they were under the inspiration and the control of the Spirit of God. Only God knows the beginning from the end and can tell us what's going to happen, what happened in the beginning and what's going to happen in the end. The Bible is a special book. 
And Peter said it was God who caused the prophets to write what they wrote. The Bible, in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Scripture is God's Word coming right out of the mouth of God. When the Bible speaks, saints of God, God speaks. Come on, are y'all with me? And see, we got to stop right here. And even as I'm preaching, I can tell there's resistance. There's resistance because we bought the lies of of the liberal, atheistic, heathenistic, agnostic people out there. The Bible is the truth. Nothing but the truth will always be the truth. And the truth will set you free. But you got to believe it. you got to receive it. And you got to accept it if it's going to make a difference in your life. Amen. Yes, indeed. Secondly, the Bible is so important, not, not just because it's the only book authored by God, but number two, the Bible is the most reliable book in the world. It's the most reliable. The Bible is considered the inerrant word, meaning the Bible is free from error. You know, I remember when I first got saved, I was on a rig and this guy came to me and, and uh, you know, and on the rigs, you didn't, it didn't take long for them to know you were a Christian. You know, all you had to do, you know, as you heard me say, all you had to do was not cuss. And they said, what's the matter with you? You know, really, I'm serious. And that's how it was. And so... You couldn't hide it very long unless you went around using four-letter words. I mean, you didn't have to put a Bible in your pocket, put a fish on your hard hat. All you had to do is not curse. And I, Come on, how many of you have been on rigs and know what I'm talking about? And so quickly, all of a sudden, I always had different experiences. Sometimes I had incredible opportunities to witness and to preach to people. You know, husbands whose wives been praying for them. Stuff like that. Sons whose moms been fasting for them. But every once in a while, I would encounter an agnostic devil. An atheistic devil out there in human form. And this guy comes up to me and he just tries, you know, and he just starts challenging me. And just tries to, you know, tear me apart. And, and he, was, he was versed in what he was, he was, he was versed in what he was saying. But you know what? I had to quickly dismiss it because of the fact that, listen, Don't tell me the book that changed my life. There's something wrong with it. Amen. (laughs) You come walk in my moccasins and find out where I've been and where I'm at. And you tell me the Bible ain't the word of God. You better jump off this platform. You better get another person that you can try to talk out of the reliability of the word of God. How many of you know the Bible is real? So some people don't read or believe the Bible because somebody told them that it's full of errors. That's a lie. Can I expose the lie? It's a lie. Yeah, but you know, this doctor told me it's a lie. This professor told me, I don't care. It's a lie. The Bible is the truth and it's reliable. Amen? Let me give you three good reasons why you can believe the Bible is real. Number one, science continues to prove the reliability of the Bible. Did you know that years ago there was a book written called 51 Reasons Why Science Disagrees with the Bible? They had 51 reasons. Now the book is out of print because scientists disagree with the book. Did you know at one time people believed that the earth was flat? 
And they even warned Christopher Columbus to be careful not to fall off the earth when he was on his discovery voyages. Well, scientists found out that the earth is a globe or a circle and it's not flat. You're not going to fall off of it. Isaiah knew this hundreds and thousands of years before they found it out. Isaiah 40, 22, Isaiah said, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Isaiah knew it was round. They should have asked Isaiah. They should have read their Bible. Amen? Astronomers continue to prove the reliability of the Bible. Did you know that at one time astronomers believed they knew exactly how many stars were in the heavens? Yeah, it's true. They did. And then somebody said, recounted, and he said, no, that's wrong. And he added a couple of stars to that count. And then they invented the Hubble telescope. Well, now they say it's impossible to number the stars. I mean, these galaxies go on and on and on. We can't tell you how many stars. Well, Jeremiah could have told them that hundreds of years before they figured it out. And Jeremiah 33, 22 says, As the stars of the sky cannot be counted, and the sand on the seashore cannot be measured, so I will multiply the descendants of my servant David and the Levites who ministered before me. Amen? Yes, indeed. Do you know that archaeologists continue to prove the reliability of the Bible? The Bible talks about a tribe of people named the Hittites. Remember them? The Hittites. Remember reading about the Hittites in the Bible? If you read in the Old Testament, let me give you an example. Exodus 13, 5. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, Jebusites, the land He swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. Now, for centuries, critics questioned the reliability of the Bible because they couldn't find evidence that the Hittites existed. And so they could find other stuff on the other tribes, but they were hung up on the, on the Hittites. And they said, the Bible is not reliable because there's nowhere that we can find that this tribe of people ever existed. Then in 1906, archaeologists were digging and discovered a boatload of remains and they figured out it was determined to be the Hittite capital, which was exactly where the Bible said it was, about 90 miles east of Turkey. You know, I can't remember the year. Not long ago, I, I can't remember. It's like maybe 30, 40 years ago, something like that. There was, a, there was a shepherd boy, and he threw a stone in a cave, and something shattered. And he crawled into the cave down around the Dead Sea. And he crawled into the cave to find out what that was, and he discovered a whole cave full of artifacts, and out of that came the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so they said, okay, now we got some ancient manuscripts and we're going to prove that the Bible is wrong. But as all the experts looked at it and they studied it, they had to scratch their head and say, we can't find anything that contradicts the Bible in here. Why? Because the Bible is reliable. Amen? The point is the Bible is so important because it's the most reliable book in the entire world. The third reason 
that the Bible is so important is because the Bible is the most miraculous book in the world. It's miraculous. Now listen to this. The Bible has 66 different books. It covers a span of 1,500 plus years. It was written by 40 plus writers of all different backgrounds like shepherds, scholars, prophets, fishermen, tax collectors, doctors, and laborers. And the writers wrote on, in different places like ships, caves, fields, prisons, deserts. Different places. They weren't in the same room writing it. And it covered 13 different countries and spanned three different continents. Yet, all of the writings fit together in a very unified and meticulous way. How can that be? Everybody who studies language and understands, this is a miraculous thing. There's no way that all these different authors, all these different writers, excuse me, one author, all these different writers could write about the same subject and keep their their thoughts together and not contradict each other and end up with the same theme. This is miraculous. You know, R.A. Torrey explained how miraculous the Bible is in this way. He said, if you decided to build a monument to honor all 50 states, let's say we did it right here in Lafayette, and we randomly chose someone from every state to represent that, cha- that state, and to choose whatever stone they wanted, marble, granite, gemstone, whatever. And we told them to cut it in whatever shape they wanted without consulting all the reps from the other states and send it, all 50 reps sent a piece from all these different states and they came to Lafayette and we took these 50 pieces and we put them together to form a monument that all these 50 people pieces would fit together in a perfectly tight and symmetrical form and look like a monument. How how could that be? That would be impossible, wouldn't it? I mean, you can't figure out what you want to do and try to cut those pieces and put them together, and they fit. But R.A. Torrey was saying, when you realize how that all these different authors and these different backgrounds with these different educational backgrounds and the different influences and, and all that, that they would write about the same subject, but yet they would all together, when you put all those writings together, it would form a perfect, a perfect book with the same theme throughout. How miraculous. Do you know that the Bible is a miraculous book? It's miraculous. Consider from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible tells the same single story. The rescue of mankind from the destruction of sin. How? Through the redemption of one man's death on the cross, the Redeemer is Jesus Christ. Amen? The same story told 40 different ways from various backgrounds in different countries, never losing the story. The Old Testament presents Jesus as the hope of mankind. The New Testament presents Him as the fulfillment of the hope of mankind. And the whole book never loses sight or veers from the same single story of John 3.16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. Amen. The Bible is miraculous. Amen. And then the fourth reason that the Bible is so important is that the Bible has power to transform lives. That's cool. If you have your Bible there at Amos, turn over a little bit to Psalm chapter 1. It's right close to the very center of your Bible. But Psalm chapter 1 is a picture of the difference the Bible can make in a person's life. In Psalm chapter 1, and in verse 1, it says this. It says, how blessed is the man. I'm going to give you a little time to turn there. You know, by the way, let me just stop to mention, you know, why should you bring your Bible since we throw the Scriptures up there? Do you know that you will retain more if you hear it and see it? You know that? And especially if you can put a mark there and go back and look at it. Amen. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Now, I know... Some of you might not be a gardener, but how many of you know that plants do a lot better if you water them? How many of you know they don't do so good if you don't water them? They die. They shrivel up. They become brittle and they fall apart. And they're lifeless. And this picture here of Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who, verse 2 says, delights in the law of the Lord. In the picture he gives, it's like a person that, or a plant that is rooted right by the river, right by the stream. Anytime it gets, gets thirsty, just grabs a little water. Gets thirsty, grabs a little water. Even if it doesn't rain for a little while, gets water. The plant thrives near the river. It has everything it needs. Its leaves does not wither, the Bible says. Its leaves never get limp. And it's fruitful, amen. It's firmly planted. Its its roots go down deep. And it yields fruit. There's fruit on the life of the plant that is planted by the streams of water. And he gives us this picture that this is the person who gets rooted in the Bible who gets rooted in the Word of God, who delights in the law of the Lord. And the Bible says that whatever he does, he's going to prosper in. How many of you would like to prosper in everything that you do? Now, of course, you're not going to prosper if you do evil things because the Word of the Lord will steer you away from that. Amen? But everything that you do that it's according to and in the will of God and the plan of God, you're going to prosper in. Amen? So listen. How many of you know that the Bible is amazing and has amazing ability to transform somebody's life? 
The Bible can help you get your marriage on track, your parenting in balance, succeed in all relationships, your emotions in check, insight into running your business, help you manage your finances, break spiritual curses off your life, learn how to get through discouragement, keep you from yielding to temptation, provide you a roadmap and access into all eternity. Those are just a few things the Bible can do. But the Bible promises us to help us prosper in every area of our life. Isn't that great? You know, I'm not sure we really understand that. Todd, I'm having marriage problems. Sir, have you been reading the Bible? Read the Bible about what the Bible says about marriage and obey it. It'll help your marriage. How many of you agree with that? If we apply the Word of God, the Bible talks about all these different places, all these different circumstances of life. And whenever we can learn what the Bible says about our circumstance and apply it to our circumstance, our circumstance will change in a positive way. That's what the Bible is talking about. A person that's planted by the streams of water, who lives their life according to the Word of God. They are going to succeed. Come on, can I get an amen? In the house of the Lord today. That's what the Bible, that's what the Scripture is talking about here. And so, we need the Bible. Amen? Now notice he said, blessed is the man who delights, delights in the law of the Lord. That's an operative word. It's a key word in the Scripture. You, got, you can't just like the Word. you got to delight in the Word. Come on, y'all with? Say, well, I know the Bible. I know some of the Bible. You can't just know some of it. you got to be hungry for it. you got to desire it. Amen. you got to develop an appetite for it. Amen. you got to get, I can't help it. i got to read some more of the Bible. Amen. I need to read some more of the Bible. I need, I need, a, I need another chapter. You know, it becomes like your new addiction. Amen. Amen. So, you have your cup of coffee with your Bible. Somebody said that sin will keep you from the Bible. The Bible will keep you from sin. Amen. Come on, we need the Word of God. Otherwise, we're going to be ignorant. And the Bible says that we perish because of ignorance. We perish because of lack of knowledge, the Bible says. We need the truth. Listen to this verse. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, For the word of God, for the word that God speaks, is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and of the joints of the marrow, of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. Wow. Do you know the Bible has living power in it? The Bible is alive. The power to change and transform people's lives are in the words of this book. Tell me whatever the book that you can find on the bookshelf that will help a marriage and help parenting at the same time. Help your business 
and help your emotions at the same time. Help you break addictions, break curses off your life all at the same time. Tell me another book in this earth that has the power to do what the Bible has the ability to do. There is none. It's the greatest book ever written. It's the greatest book. It has the most ability to change people's lives and futures than any other book on the planet. The Bible is the living Word of God. It is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we need to have a heart for it. Amen. And so as we wrap it up today, who's willing to make the Bible priority in their life? See, and here's, here's, here's the conviction I've come to. All of you, I see you today as plants, planted in this life, in this world. Some of you might be planted in a desert. Some of you might be planted in a state that hasn't seen rain in a long time. And your life is very dry. And I'm wondering, how can I change the state of you as a plant? And I think as a pastor... If I can just uproot you where you are and get you rerooted by a stream of water called the Word of God, I have a good idea that your life will start turning around and your life will become stronger because it will change your biblical worldview. And whenever you change your worldview and it becomes biblical, I know what's going to happen. You're going to start enjoying the blessings that come with the Word of God. Amen? So how many of you are willing to get unplanted and replanted near the Word of God? See, our purpose in this message is to encourage those who have never been a Bible reader or student to begin reading and learning the Bible. Now listen, I can tell you from personal experience... That I used to think, well, somebody, I heard somebody say you need to read the Bible. I opened the Bible and it didn't do anything for me. I couldn't even understand it. And I understand what it's like to want to get there but not get there. But I want to encourage you today to retry. To retry. You know what helped me? I got a modern translation of a language that I could understand. And I was given a little bit of instruction. So here's some practical things. You know, first of all, if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to read the book of John. Read the book of John. You know, because it'll give you the gospel, give you the gospel, give you the gospel. And you know, listen, Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. How many of you know the Bible is the power of God and the salvation? You can't get saved until you first hear the gospel, amen? And the good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So listen, first of all, you got to be saved. And before you can be saved, you've got to know that you're lost. And if you haven't asked Christ to forgive your sins, you're lost. Read the book of John. You know, what the, you know what it'll do? It'll help you understand that you need God. Amen? Some of you don't have a Bible, and you need a Bible. 
Well, go to the resource center before you leave. I don't know how many we have, but we'll give all of them that we have away today. If you don't have a Bible, need one. I want to encourage you to get one. And listen, somebody encouraged me to do this years ago. Start reading one chapter a day. One chapter a day. And you know what somebody encouraged me to read the book of Proverbs? I said, you know, they got 31 chapters, Todd. They got the most you, days you're going to have in a month, 31. You got one chapter for every day. Read a book of Proverbs. Proverbs is right in the middle of the Bible, right next to Psalms. Find it. Put your, put your marker there. And I remember years ago, when I first got saved, sitting at the kitchen table, eating a bowl of Cheerios with my Bible open, reading Proverbs. It's a lot of powerful sayings. And I just begin to read. And I just begin to read Proverbs. I'd get to the chapter 31. I'd start all over. What's the day today? I'd find that day. I'd read Proverbs. I'd read Proverbs. I started reading the Bible by reading one chapter a day. And you know Proverbs started changing my life. Amen? Some of you need to start reading your Bible. Read a chapter a day. Some of you need to return to your Bible. You don't even know where your Bible is right now, maybe. Can I encourage you to get back to the Bible? Is that all right? Are you all with me? Come on, I told you, this is not meant to condemn you. It's meant to try to encourage you. Can I encourage you to get back to the Bible? Come on, we're talking about getting next to that river. Come on, are you all with me? We're talking about getting next to that stream. Can I encourage you? Listen, how many of you are Christians in here? Don't you think you need to know what Christ says? Amen. How many of you know that if you're a Christian, you need to know what God says? Amen. How many of you know your relationship will suffer if you don't communicate and fellowship with the person you're trying to be in relationship with? So I enc- can I encourage you? You know, somebody said a dusty Bible will lead to a dirty life. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? So some of us, listen, let's dust it off. You know, how many of you, let me ask you, how many of you, some of you maybe have never read through the Bible from start to finish. And if somebody told you a verse was in the Bible, you wouldn't have a clue whether it's in there or not because you've never read the Bible to know whether it's in there or not. So somebody could tell you they got this some crazy verse in the Bible and you wouldn't know. Can I encourage you to read through the Bible? We have some Bible reading programs. I forgot to check where those were. Miss Clovia, are you here? They're right out in the foyer to the left there. It's a Bible reading program, not tell you how much or what to read, but it just helps you get track. Like you can start with a book of the Bible, and as you read a chapter, you highlight that chapter one. And just keep track. If it takes you five years, read through the Bible. Amen? And after you've read through the Bible, go kill the fatty calf and say, I've read through the Bible. Hallelujah. In fact, once you get through the book of Leviticus, you might want to kill the fatty calf and say, yes, I got through the book of Leviticus. Amen. It's all the dietary laws and stuff. Amen. But let's return to the Bible. Let's return to the Scripture. There's a famine in the Word of God. A famine of the Word of God in the land. A church that is Bible-centered, Bible-based, Bible-taught will be a strong church. 
Amen. I thank God Brother Francis preached the scripture. Amen. Thank God he taught the Bible. Amen. I'm so grateful. I would not be standing right here if somebody hadn't showed me how to get in the book. Amen. Some of you, listen, some of you, you would do yourself a huge favor if you'd get into one of them small groups and just get a little deeper in the Word of God. It's getting your roots a little bit deeper because sometimes your roots aren't that deep and they got water down there, but it's down there. And those that got deep roots... They get water when other people don't. Amen. Come on, whenever you go through a real drought, real desert time in your life, some people, they're still getting watered because they got deep roots in the Word of God. Amen. And their roots go down deep, and so whenever those hurricane hits, they don't get blown over into the river because they got deep roots. Amen. We need deep roots. The more, the more deep our roots are, the deeper our roots, the better off we'll be. Amen. Could you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, listen, before you can ever know the Bible, you've got to know the author of the Bible. You know, the Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4, listen to this, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You know, when I started reading the Bible, I didn't understand it. You know why? Because I had never been saved. I never got to know the author. Once you know the author, you're going to understand the Bible a lot better. Amen? So once I gave my life to Christ, it just started to open up. It's like there's a veil over your, your mind. And you read it, but you can't make heads or tails of it. But once you give your life to Christ, that veil is it's like, like the bride's little veil. It's taken off of you, and all of a sudden, you've got spiritual eyes to see. And all of a sudden now, the Word of God is ministering to you right where you are, speaking life to you. Amen? You know, Wednesday night, we had an awesome service, a great baptism. People got saved. It was just great. Those of you who are here. You know, and I mentioned that, you know, Years ago, we had a man that preached here in this church, and he talked about, you know, sometimes we get inoculated with Christianity, and it keeps us from getting the real thing. You know, in the, in the medical world, they'll give you measles so you don't get measles. They'll give you a little bit of measles so your body builds a resistance to measles so you don't get measles. Sometimes we've got just enough church to keep us from being a Christian. Amen? We've got just enough church and Christianity to keep us from really becoming a Christian. And it's, it's not falling into place. It's not, it's, not making, it's, it's not making sense. Well, we need to surrender. We need, we need to be not just inoculated. We need to have an IV. Amen? We need to have a total transfusion of Christianity. We need to give our life to Christ. We need to be saved. We need to have our sins washed away. And then we're going to be able to understand the Bible like never before.